0: Welcome to the Inside Digital Transformation podcast. Inside Digital Transformation explores how organizations of every size and shape are using technology today to survive and thrive in the face of relentless change. If you are a business or technology leader charged with making the most of digital transformation in your organization, then this podcast is for you. And now here's your host, Alan Bernard, a technology journalist, editor, and copywriter who has been covering the intersection of business and technology for over two decades.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I'm speaking with Julian Giorente. Julian is the Director of Data Privacy at Telium, a customer data integration platform provider with over 850 customers around the globe about the impact data privacy is having on the ability of organizations to innovate with digital technologies. Julian, thanks for being here.
0: Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, most of all.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. It's it's going to be a good call. So Julian, I like to start off uh, the podcast with the same question for every guest. And that is, what is your definition of digital transformation?
0: Digital transformation, there are multiple definitions out there. Uh, If you Google it, there are a whole lot of web pages claiming to have like the one description for that. Uh, For me personally, it's about embracing technology and embedding it into the culture. Um, digital transformation can only happen if you, you use technology as we have it nowadays uh, to your advantage efficiently and you embrace it from a cultural point of view as well because if it's not adapted internally into your teams into your processes it will just die out <laughs> all the time uh, so it's right. embracing technology uh, from a cultural as well from a technology side by the end of the day that's what it means for me
1: okay Okay. I, I have a definition that I work with that I've been running by people. I wanted to get your take on it. Um, basically, I look at digital transformation as using digital technologies to change the status quo.
0: Yes. 100% agree with that. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because you know, the way I'm
1: thinking about it is, is you can be the most advanced uh, you know, software company in the world, a startup that's, that's cloud native, and, and yet you are still going to engage in digital transformation. Of your absolutely. platform, of your products, of your, right the way you interact with customers and things like that, or you could be using paper and pencil <laughs> in a healthcare setting, right? That exactly fax it. machines, mm-hmm. and you're still looking at right. So it's that same challenge. It's just the starting point is different, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. So you know, on this journey, then obviously the purpose of this call is to talk about digital uh, not to, I'm sorry, uh, data privacy. Uh, and you know, I don't, I hesitate to use that term because I don't want to lock it into just that narrow scope. Uh, but protecting data that is sensitive, right. Uh, particularly data that's covered by all these compliance regulations that are coming along. Right. Yes. Uh, I was doing some research for the call. You certainly have GDRP, which is the right, the big one. And the one that, but but it's not going to impact you in, you know, Ohio if you're not doing business in Germany. Yes. Right? I mean, that's very uh, EU-centric regulation. Um, so for big internationals, multinationals, yes, it's a more of a concern. But now we have the California privacy regulations. There's two of them I found out um, that are coming online. One's already in place, one's coming online. Uh, there's a few other states that have them in place, and then there's a handful of states that have them in committee. And I think this is such a big concern for customers across the board um, that it really has to be a top of mind issue today, just like cybersecurity and a whole bunch of other things when you start to think of digital transformation in your organization.
0: Would you agree? Uh, Yes, indeed. Um, So what we are experiencing right now uh, in the States, generally speaking, um, always kind of build a bridge between what's happening or happened in Europe as well, because we started with GDPR. And even though we we're four years in pre-GDPR, so general data privacy protection regulation that we have currently in place, um, it was kind of the same. Uh, we had country, kind of each country their own privacy regulation. Um, it was a disjointed approach. Um, so similar as we have it right now in the states with California leading the effort and multiple states kind of like trying to catch up with that, uh, similar approach to that, but definitely a huge topic currently. Okay.
1: And of course, compliance and regulation is just one side of it because, you know, there is, you know, the trust factor that you have to have with your customers, right? Yeah. I mean, people do business with people who they trust at the end of the day. Right. Um, So based on that, I mean, so if I'm making decisions now about digital transformation for my organization, um, what are the... I want to say top considerations or what are some of the main considerations that I have to take into account around data privacy and regardless of regulation, right? To to, yes. to make it a business priority, um, what are the things I need to be thinking about? Yes,
0: really good question. So first, and it always starts with that steps, is knowledge um, an understanding for global regulations that are out there. GDPR, we have an APJ, Japan pretty strong, Australia is like just a basic understanding about what's going on globally um, and what will impact my business is the question that everybody should start with. Uh, Regardless of the size of the company, if you're enterprise level on a smaller scale, just a bunch of team members, um, understanding that is the key that you need to unlock in order to apply it to your own business. Um, Because what you will be able to do is figure out your blueprint. Uh, Most of the time, or most enterprise level companies, um, pick GDPR because it's the most strict regulation that we currently have. Um, And if you apply those principles, the requirements um, to your business, you'll be able to fairly quickly uh, adopt new regulations. So starting with that is definitely a good first step. Um, And that bleeds into my second step and my second recommendation is to focus on clarity. Um, It sounds simple, but what I mean with clarity is the clarity that you have internally about the data that you're processing. Um, Not categorizing it too much, not going too much in depth and detail, but just a general understanding what are we doing with data? What are we using it for? And who's using it? Um, Can be as simple as documenting your HR process for um, what data they're processing, how they're getting your CVs in, where it's located, is there a database or not? And it goes up to marketing processes with many different third parties and tools that you're implementing where you have many different data flows. Um, That's something that should be straight on the focus. Um, that understanding will unlock many capabilities along that long road of data privacy that we'll surely be able to talk about today. But but that's right. where it starts. the journey starts with knowledge and clarity um, for any given business that wants to be privacy driven.
1: Okay, so where is my data coming from? Yes, right. who has access to it? Correct. Um, I want to say how it's being used, but that you know I've read is, is quite a challenge. It right. is
0: indeed. No, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah.
1: You, it, you know, it's for years, like IT asset management was a huge challenge, right? Still is. But now there's automated discovery tools. It's a, it's it's still a complex problem, especially for large companies. But it's a far more manageable problem than it once was, right? Um, but I think data falls into that Wild West category today where, you know, uh, with AI, uh, with, with different, uh, with microservices on the back end, parsing data at light speed you know, from different databases all over the organization. You still have tons of data silos within organizations, right? Uh, you know, data flows so freely between devices, apps, and people. Uh, is it impossible today to understand how it's being used and who actually
0: is accessing all of your data? I would not consider it impossible. It's definitely definitely a big mountain to climb, but it's not impossible. The reason I can state that um, is we came from a time um, where it was the wild, white, white West. Um, we didn't have many regulations and the big challenge for businesses, generally speaking, was to obtain even more data. It was about data quality, big data, um, breaking down the data silos. That was the major theme going on for the last bunch of years before the whole privacy theme even appeared. Um, that has changed now. So that change as always, takes time to be adapted. Um, And that change is leading to these questions that we didn't really have to ask before, which is what we're discussing right now is what data are we even processing? It sounds really simple, but once you get down to the weeds, um, you have to start to obtain that understanding and knowledge for what happens if I pass data to a third party um, or to a team internally, what are they going to do with that? These are questions we never really had to answer before. And nowadays with models that we're building for machine learning, training models, it's becoming more difficult because that language is not spoken by everybody. Um, If you talk with data scientists or data engineers, they will easily be able to just explain it to you. If we understand it, it's a whole different story. But that's the challenge that we're currently in. Um, It started simple. It's getting more more complex. It's definitely not impossible, but you have to spend your resources, time, and budget in order to make it really a, a driving factor. To really obtain that knowledge and understanding, that that needs to be done. If it's not your focus, then it surely will become an impossible task because you'll not be able to decipher what you have been doing with your data.
1: Okay, so we went from how do we get more data, right? Yes. Yeah. To what do we do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with all the data we have, right? I think that and that was a fairly fast transition. Right. You know, I remember not too long ago, people were saying, Oh my God, there's not enough storage in the world to handle all the data. And suddenly, no one even talks about storage anymore. But yeah, so that data acquisition piece, I remember when big data was a thing and no one even talks about that anymore, right? Big data is a thumb drive today. So you, we've gone then. I think the change you're referring to is we've gone from, okay, how do we get more data to now what do we do with it and how do we manage it, right?
0: Absolutely. Okay. And Go ahead. Yeah. Now, more important than ever, due to the privacy spin on it is like privacy has added these requirements where it's not an option anymore. If you have to be compliant, you have to be able to understand that. Um, that's why we're talking so much nowadays about that. It's that pressure it's coming in from uh, the regulators, the authorities out there that are forcing businesses to have that understanding. It's not an option. It's the main driver that I wanted to kind of point out to is that even though it sounds like it's an option to have that understanding or it may seem impossible, it's not that you have the decision to pick and choose if you have authorities asking you these questions and to be able to explain it. So right. that's the difference between the big data challenge before, which was intrinsic, the business wanted it, versus what we have right now, which is regulators and as well as users uh, asking right. for this type of information. It's a different factor. It's driving it.
1: Well, and another factor that's driving it is, I think Apple has changed the equation from a marketing perspective, <laughs> uh, and they're not, they're using privacy as a marketing. Uh, I don't want to say what would be the word strategy, right? Um, an effective one. I mean, I buy Apple phones for a reason, right? Yes. Not that I'm, this is a plug for Apple necessarily, but um, <laughs> you know, I'm, but that's that's the reality, right? And so it, it's it's elevated from. I think, you know, a few years ago, I say a few, maybe five, ten, the concern that we used to talk about uh, with the people I would interview would be IP, right? Intellectual property, trade secrets, uh, you know, the keys to the kingdom, the Coca-Cola secret formula, right? That seemed to be the big problem. Then it was credit card data. Uh, Then health data became valuable on the black market. And and now it's just all of it. Has it become a boardroom? boardroom level discussion yet? Like cyber has transitioned into the boardroom at this point?
0: Yes, uh, good point mentioning cyber or IT security, however we might name it, but security in general. Um, It's a similar journey and yes, it definitely has. Um, We have nowadays even job titles, the chief privacy officer, um, the DPOs of a company, um, that's kind of like a little bit the GDPR context of it, but we'll see the same as well for other regulations that have a similar structure and approach to it. Um, it definitely have reached the boardroom. It definitely reached executives. Um, if not for the requirement by law, then by the pressure that happens naturally because privacy uh, stops processes that are not compliant. Uh, what I mean with that is sooner rather than later, um, a CMO, for example, might see an impact in return on revenue that they spent on third parties. Now, content, the opt-in approach will have a huge impact on it. So once that really hits and you see the impact of implementing privacy by default or by design processes, if you're not ready for that, then you will see that. And that's the latest stage where it will hit a wall, where executives will wake up to that reality in the worst case. So in that instance,
1: that's a great transition to my next question is what impact is this having on organizations' ability to engage in digital transformation, right? And that's probably a great example where you have a, uh, you know, marketing is full of data collection strategies around customers, right?
0: Um, But they're all based on
1: opt-out today.
0: Yes. So if we take a look at the impact, there there are different levels um, that I would like to kind of slice this down a little bit. So... First of all, it's not only marketing anymore. What I kind of tend to use is more data-driven teams because any team that requires data is in the same boat as marketing was before. Uh, You require more information, you require maybe personal data for your use cases. All of this will have an impact. So if we take the first step um, is how is privacy really applied? So there is the GDPR world and there is the CCPA world currently going on. These are mm-hmm. like slightly two separate logics that are applied because GDPR is opt-in driven and CCPA is opt-out driven. What that and means is- Sorry
1: to interrupt. Sorry. CCPA yes. is the California Privacy Act. Yes.
0: So GDPR, uh, the uh, European version of the data privacy regulation that we have is opt-in driven. And then we have CCPA, soon to be CPRA, which is the California Consumer Privacy Act, Um, enforced in California specifically, um, it's an opt-out driven approach. So what does that mean? Opt-in driven means that as a user, as a European citizen, I will visit a website, for example, and I will be asked what this specific business is allowed to do with my personal data. So there will be a pop-up, a banner, um, showing me some information, trying to explain to me what they want to do. May it be analytics, marketing, personalization, profiling, I will receive that Mm -hmm. question and I can choose what I want and what I do not want to opt into. Now, if we take a look at CCPA and the opt-out driven approach, um, CCPA defines it as do not sell and share my data. Um, That's how it's defined. We'll not go too much into the weeds of that. But the difference being that um, as a user, I will be able to opt out, but I will not receive that question when I visit your website. In a pop-up, I will have to actively search for a link, click on it, and then specifically opt-out. It's a huge difference because the opt-out driven approach in California already assumes that I'm fine with what is happening. And I need to be actively driving my opt-out versus GDPR is giving me right there, right now, the decision of, do I want it or do I not want it? So how does that
1: impact companies' ability to engage or how does that change the way that they engage in digital transformation?
0: So now that we have that level set, um, GDPR is a far stronger impact. That's why I'm, I'm trying to explain that because okay. GDPR will put the user into the driving seat to take the decision. They don't have another choice as to interact with a content manager in the GDPR context. So that means if you do not have the capability and do not gr- do a great job explaining what you're trying to achieve, it will be fairly difficult to convince a user to just simply opt in. This is something that we experienced very early in the GDPR world, 2018, when we started to implement these solutions, that we quickly realized we need a benefit-driven communication. I cannot simply ask you blindly for your email address and assume that you will understand everything that I'm going to do in all of my use cases. Mm-hmm. That's not the case right. anymore. So I need to find the right language. If I do not, the opt-ins will kind of slowly kind of slow down. And the huge impact that this will have, it will have the impact that I'm not able to um, to do my processing activities what that means is i'll not be able to reach thresholds uh, to match audiences i'll not be able to retarget anymore i'll not be able to share my data with facebook to create a facebook campaign because the user opted out mm-hmm. so the okay. user will be able in the or is able in the gdpr contacts to activate or deactivate your specific campaigns and use cases and this has okay. a straight monetary impact for any business out there um A nice little example that I have is when I first started to implement a content manager. Um, These are tools required to have these interactions and allow the user to activate or deactivate specific services. Uh, We did that and we were not aligned. I was working on the customer side, um, big airline in Europe. Um, We just implemented it with our best of our knowledge and understanding, but we didn't have alignment internally with how will a specific technology or an opt-out opt-in impact my marketing team that was way before we even thought about that what mm-hmm. happened is yeah. for every user that opted out we weren't able to track nearly anything well we couldn't use google analytics back in the day because the user opted out that means we couldn't track the performance of a campaign we were running blind on the website um, the marketing team couldn't actually fill in their reports they couldn't report it up again um, they couldn't figure out how many products we bought out of the e-commerce perspective like it had a massive impact It's slowly unraveled, and that's the big impact of privacy if you're not ready. It will have a monetary effect that is a little bit delayed because you have to first kind of obtain the data and then realize that you don't have it anymore. So it breaks it completely down. It just chops it off. That's the first big impact that we see in the GDPR context.
1: Okay. And then internally on processes, what's the impact? Because I could see where that would have could have downstream implications on customer service. It has. Uh, it has. Right, where people will call up and expect you to know them, but they've opted out.
0: Yes. So that's now balancing the expectation as well by users or for users, but it has definitely also an internal impact. Um, it has on the processes, how marketing teams, uh, data-driven teams in general can even operate nowadays because they have to think about privacy first. Uh, are we even allowed to implement a campaign or use case or build the model is like that's a different question to it on top of that it breaks down the user journey as well um, that's the kind of like weird weird thing happening right now is that as a user i expect personalization i expect that the business that i'm interacting with knows my data and use it to my advantage so if i Called in to a call center. I'm expecting that you know what product I already own. Uh, you don't have. You shouldn't ask me if I'm using your television or not. I just logged in. I have an account with you, so you better know it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the, that expectation is impacted by privacy as well. Because if mm-hmm. I am on the, in the um, I'm sitting in the driver's seat, as I explained before, as a user, and I opted out of. These interactions. I'm not allowing you to use my data for specific purposes. And one of those purposes might be that you're able to create a holistic profile about me, to use my personal data, to crunch all of that in into one big profile. So when I call you, you know what products I'm using. You know that I already called last week or whatever it might be. So that imbalance of expectation is something that we definitely experience. And we are and the collective we as the businesses not doing a huge job or a good job on fixing that to be quite honest
1: well i think the, the it's a <clears throat> many tentacled problem right it's an octopus uh you know yeah. I, I remember not too long ago the big challenge was breaking down internal technology driven data silos and actually right. interconnecting all that data so you could become right what well, was a single version of the truth right uh right. or the 360 degree view of the customer <laughs> right
0: yes um i mean you, you're right um we went from breaking down data silos, we still are, um, and we're breaking down also not only data silos, but communication silos, because it's necessary to mm-hmm. exchange right. information with, as we kind of talking about the privacy space, your privacy experts in the room have a completely different role compared to how it was 10 years before. Uh, your legal team, for example, as well. The level of knowledge for these, let's just call them the privacy experts out there, maybe within a marketeer flavor or... And a data engineer, these privacy experts that we have within the business have to kind of up level their knowledge in every space to even understand what's going on. Now, putting that into perspective, what you said is like where companies came from is breaking down the silos. If they did the great job, they will still have the same level of documentation. They will have data lineage. They will understand what data is even within every database. So you don't really have to go back to step zero. You just have to allow your team to deep dive again into that type of information that you already gathered and allow to ask specific questions for the reason behind it. That's the major difference. It's the reason of why are we even merging this data? Are we allowed to do that? And these are new questions that we didn't ask before. We just threw data together, but didn't ask really for why. We're working under the assumption later we will have a use for it um, because it will cost us a little bit of money, but it's fine. It's like there's no regulation actually forcing me to ask now for the purpose-driven approach. Why am I doing this? Should I be doing it? What's the impact on a data subject? Is like, these are new questions that we're trying to figure out.
1: So interesting. So one of the technologies that jumps to mind as we're talking here that companies are actively engaged in is AI, right? Yes. And, and you know, one of the, the issues with AI is models, right? And models require data. Now, some models don't require as much data today, but it's my understanding that for most AI models, the more data, the better. Right. So let's take that as an example. Technology, because it is so, it can be applied in so many different areas, and is being applied in so many different areas. How does this data privacy issue impact the adoption of something like AI? Because it's going to cross over your your data scientists, your model builders, your your developers, um, your privacy people, right? Uh, you I know, yes. keep going. Are all going to have a hand in deciding what data goes into the model at least, right? Yes. And then what data that model consumes going forward for machine learning purposes and on and on and on, right? That's, a again, a very multi... every All of this seems like a very multi-tentacled, bit of a Hydra problem or Medusa problem,
0: right? It is. It, it definitely is a, a Hydra problem, <laughs> to use your words right there. Um, as you already kind of, kind of said, it is like it's not a... A one team one person show it's not that the data scientist can actually just grab some data create a model release it and we're cool like it's fine even though if it works in that sense that the model works theoretically speaking um, it's not enough nowadays because you have to have all your ducks in a row that means you have to understand what you're going to build before you're building it so you need a good research and discovery phase so that you can start to align with your internal teams. So mm-hmm. figure out together with your privacy team, what is the, what are the privacy implications? What are the regulations trying to tell us so that we actually can fulfill those requirements? You will have to talk with the legal teams to figure out if there are any third parties involved in data sharing activities. If we even have the right contracts, then you will have to talk to your data engineers. Do we even have the data quality required? Where's the data coming from? It's like, it's already kind of managing multiple tentacles at the same time. So that's where the whole journey starts. Uh, once you've done that, um, what privacy is forcing you to actually take a deeper look into is again, the why behind it is like, what's my goal of the model, what, what am I trying to predict? And in the same cause it's what's the impact for my data subject? What's the impact for my users where I'm actually kind of unleashing this model into, if it's a recommendation engine, how will it impact you? Is there a negative impact that we can already expect? Are there only net positives that will happen? So that's what Privacy is trying to force companies to do, is to create and orchestrate that understanding before releasing something into the public. It's just have that understanding, and gather that knowledge before applying it, which is new. It's, it's not how we intend to work.
1: It's new and it also is, is a challenge in that companies have been working very diligently to adopt Agile.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Agile is, I mean, this is something that, I mean, I'm taking that on a personal level. It's really, really difficult to work in an agile world. What kind of is truly agile driven? So you have a weekly, bi-weekly release with cycle. DevOps and automated pipelines. Correct. Yeah. It's like data pipeline, you already have like massive teams involved and it's already fairly difficult to even figure out how to work agile. Now, if you sprinkle privacy on top, it means now that every little change that we have to do, you have to ask yourself, does it have a privacy implication? Not only IT security implication, legal implication, just generally that question of, am I allowed to do that? Can I just simply change the data that I'm actually inputting? Or is this now privacy driven? That's knowledge that we didn't have before. Like The people developing these tools were not forced to tap in into the privacy knowledge. like, this is new. Right, and they're not necessarily qualified either. Do you, they, how do
1: you even know what questions to ask,
0: right? Correct.
1: When as you the, live this every day, they're living code.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's like, And as we're talking about like recommendations to follow and kind of like what to look out for, um, this is something that I regularly catch myself talking about, which is you cannot simply throw the task of privacy on top of any given team and expect that it just simply magically works. Um, what i mean with that specifically is that we have these hybrid roles so let's just stick with the marketing example uh, you have your marketing team they have the martech knowledge so how the tools work what, what data they're processing just kind of like their own small bubble where they're operating now if you just kind of pass by and hand them over the task for make this compliant like you have the responsibility to make your processing activities compliant How the hell are you expecting that that will work out? These people are not trained. They don't have the right understanding. They might be able to read about it, but it's difficult to apply it into your day-to-day activities and to create processes around that. And what type of documentation do I need? It's like, this is an extensive kind of, this is a massive undertaking that you have to do. Nowadays, what I'm experiencing, and I've experienced this in many different roles, as well as working with customers, is that's the go-to. The go-to is to pick a person, assign the privacy task to them and expect that they figure everything out. That's not how it can operate. And this is exactly the reason we're talking about that is like, you can't expect your developers to be privacy driven just magically.
1: Yeah. And if you, you know, and I've actually been in the situation where the, you know, I've looked at, tried to parse a regulation for a job I was doing, a writing job, and there are 300 pages, 400 pages yeah. <laughs> of cross re-
0: cross-reference data. So, so what do you do then? So from a strategic point of view, um, what I can out of my experience recommend is to create a privacy program, um, a privacy office, program, committee, whatever you want to name it, um, but create a team, a task force that consists out of IT security, privacy, and legal first. Um, you have to gather that knowledge of these different teams because it's already intertwined together. You can't have privacy without IT security. Legal is kind of like the umbrella for the contracts and everything. So these teams need to already work together and make it their effort to, what I mentioned before, create clarity and knowledge, first of all. Give them time, give them responsibility because we need to be able to gather all of that information from radiative different teams, data silos that we might have broken down or still exist is like, this task force needs to be able to do an extensive amount of research first internally. Interview people, have an understanding for what's my HR process versus marketing process, all of that. Once you have that, then you start to really embrace the change, which is allow the team, the, the, the task force that you have created um, to create structure and processes. What I mean with that is with privacy program, there are different approach. Personally, I'm a favor of a hybrid approach. That means that you have within your, let's say within the same example, your engineering development team. Um, if you have many different scrum teams or agile teams, each of those teams will require a privacy expert that works with them, a privacy-driven engineer. There are already um, these job titles out here. In Europe, it's kind of common thing to have a privacy engineer. Um, Facebook or Meta nowadays has also a huge list of listings for privacy engineers because they started to understand that These hybrid roles are the future. You need a privacy engineer. You need a privacy data architect. You need a privacy marketeer. You will require um, a privacy IT security person that understands both sides of the house. You will need to create these hybrid roles sprinkled across the company to be able to catch everything quickly when it's developed, when it's researched.
1: Okay, so what's the more important component of that role understanding of privacy or understanding of cyber understanding of or right understanding of privacy or understanding of development
0: yes so the understanding of like the, the key role then in these hybrid approaches i need to be an engineer first in order to apply privacy to it so i need to be a developer first and then apply my privacy knowledge to it um, i need okay. to be a marketeer first to understand the martech space and then i add privacy knowledge on top of that you can create these roles internally, so you can train them to, to open up training for them. There are certifications now out there that actually give you training modules to do that, so you can lead a privacy program, you can be a privacy engineer, so to support these roles and kind of keep you on your toes in the privacy context as well. Um, that's happening day in, day out. It's like Europe is, is showing us that that that's just simply necessary. You cannot move around that.
1: So it seems we follow a similar model to project managers, right? There you can get certifications there. You get Cisco certifications, right? Around Correct. different aspects of, of right, routers or whatever it is, right? Okay. Yes.
0: So it's maturing then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like the, this is maturing is like, and, and that's why I started with that bridge between what's happening in Europe or it's actually a mirror a little bit. It's the late mirror image that we have because what's what's happening in Europe, it's happening as well all around the world. We have these regulations, we're all trying to actually kind of work through it. Now we have new processes, new structure that is applied to it. Europe is showing us and teaching us like, okay, if you're taking it seriously, then copy a slice out of that. Copy the approach that businesses, enterprise businesses are actually applying to themselves. Um, and mm-hmm. these hybrid roles, I mean, this is not new. This has been around for as long as I'm aware of it, for the last two years. We're four years into GDPR. For the last two years, I'm seeing kind of like an uptick. Globally now, not only for Europe, where we have these hybrid roles and more, more job descriptions that are data driven have these callouts for a basic understanding for GDPR, basic understanding for CCPA. This has happened.
1: Is it you know? Uh, uh, is it a fear-driven position? And by that I mean, it sounds to me like it's good business right? But regular regulations are often treated as a fear factor, I think. So is this really a matter of just good business going forward, having these, creating these roles, making sure this is done, or is it really a matter of compliance?
0: One thing that I want to make sure that everybody stands listening to this is, is where technology leads, privacy follows. So the real driving factor of all of this is actually technology is the people creating new pieces of software New models, new processes, new applications. It's like this: this side of the house will always be way faster compared to what we have on the regulatory side. So regulation is always trying to catch up. So in the current state that we are, we have been really ignorant towards end-user privacy, globally speaking. Um, the laws that we had didn't really have too much teeth. Um, GDPR is if you can type it in, in Google, you will fairly quickly see articles popping up left and right, kind of like a major theme going on that even GDPR is lacking teeth to enforce what they're doing. Because we're in that kind of current state where we are trying to catch up and we had a huge disadvantage on the privacy side because we simply didn't want to see it. Uh, We didn't measure an impact. We let loose. It was the white, white West. It still is kind of like the majority of the part of the internet is still the white, white West. So that fear factor is something that is being used in a sense to for monetary value. Um, I personally do not talk in any of my either webinars, conversation with customers about a fear factor in privacy because if you fear it, that means you did something malicious. If you are not fearing it, you need to embrace it. Is Create the understanding, ask the question of why. Is like There are no disadvantages in it. It will cost you money because you have to spend your budget on it. But there is not disadvantage into investing into privacy. Advantage
1: means there's value, right? So the value is what?
0: The value is, by the end of the day, it's the trusted relation that you're creating with your users. And Apple is showing us that. They're using privacy as an advantage, but they're applying it first and marketing it after. They're talking about the fact after they have applied it year over year into the ecosystem, into the devices, and and showing you, I'm giving you something for your benefit. You will th- That's what they actually did is their whole advertisement theme around it is we built something useful for you. Here you go. Use it. Privacy to your advantage. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what privacy will unlock to you. And we see like, something that I love to talk about is like, we have so many different options for the same services and features nowadays. Like you have subscription models for The same stuff, you have Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Deezer, um, Tidal. is like all of them play the same music. Maybe a little bit the quality is different or the interface is different. But by the end of the day, if one of these services do something malicious with your data and they lose the trust that they have built around the customer base, it doesn't matter anymore what features they have or how beautiful their app is. Because you have a cut in trust and you will move to the next vendor that it's giving you a better promise, a better advantage to it. This is something the world that we currently live in. It, we copy and paste systems, features. I can pick and choose whatever. The main differentiator is becoming that level of trust that I have. How am I relating to a brand? Do I trust you or not? Is like we see this happening over and over again. as like on a global level that mm-hmm. just we're waking up to that reality.
1: But this is a, ultimately a business conversation,
0: right? Absolutely. So if you're an
1: organization looking to expand into emerging markets, for example, mm-hmm. um, is this an issue there or is this more of a you know U.S.-European
0: focus? It's not only U.S.-European focus. Um, Brazil has their own as well. Um, we see India recently actually pulled away from it. So they pulled it off, but they wanted to enforce actually one themselves too. Um, we have it going on in New Zealand, Africa, starting with their own. It's like this is popping up globally and and changing any given week. uh, You will see new changes, updates, amendments. It's like this is going on as a driving factor globally.
1: Okay. Interesting. I had no idea. I mean, from a business point of view, most businesses are not multinationals, right? Correct. So I'm going to take it back and maybe we're going to come up Mm -hmm. hard on time here soon. But... You know, so if I'm uh, in the average business in the U.S. is under 50 employees, if I'm that company, which is most companies, how does this impact me? Because, you know, I looked at a Canadian study and yeah. only six in 10 of businesses in Canada have privacy policies in place, for example. yes, uh, Most are aware that there's privacy issues, but less than half actually do anything proactive about it, right? Yes. And, and I'm assuming that these companies are falling into that that category I'm talking about, or most of them do. So, you know, when I start the conversation, I always think in terms of enterprise, multi, you know, big mm-hmm. companies, because that tends to be who I write about and write for, um, but there's just so many others that this is also a major issue for, right? Yes. Or, or potentially, right? Or are there carve outs, for example, in GDPR?
0: Any privacy regulation I've read so far includes kind of the same approach in it. Um, it does not apply to smaller businesses in that sense. Um, so you have to have like a specific kind of a threshold that you have to reach uh, a specific size that you have to have where it applies to. Um, personally, I'm not a huge fan of that because the responsibility of handling personal data, it's a responsibility that we also experience ourselves in our private lives, even though that we're not a business. Um, if I were hand over information to you about myself or private life and I'm trusting you with it, um, you better make sure that you're actually respecting my kind of, you know, my, my sharing activity with you. So if mm-hmm. I share with you my email, you shouldn't just simply forward it to somebody. If I give you my phone yeah. number, you should not simply just use it for a whole different pur- purpose besides calling me. Um, you should not use it to make money. It's like it, there, there's obviously already that relationship that we are kind of used to. Uh, we just have to apply it into kind of like our online business, our online contacts. So just because my company doesn't have the size or I'm just starting a service, it doesn't mean that I should be in a, in a situation where I have to ignore this kind of relationship that I'm creating. I should nurture it right from the start. Um, it shouldn't be a question of, am I regulatory forced to explain to you how I'm using your data? You should actually embrace it and already do it per default. Um, users should know if what they're sharing, what's going on, uh, what means advertisement, and not really in a, you don't require privacy policy per se to it, because if we are honest, who has really read privacy policies besides privacy experts and regulators. It's like I will not catch myself reading 25 pages um, of some technology details that I will never, ever understand as a normal kind of person. It's like, you don't do that. Um, it's only professionals that do it by the end of the day. So that's already off the record. It's like you, you cannot rely on that. So bringing it back to how it applies to smaller businesses and what to learn from it, it's really a cultural approach to it. Embrace it. Do what you do in your private life, respect the user's personal information and use it to their advantage. Don't do anything malicious, keep a straight record, be clean so that you can go back to it and explain what you're doing. That's kind of like the the kind of secret sauce to it. If you're a small enterprise level company, it's the same, just it's the level of scaling it up, the problem.
1: Right. Yeah. and, And yeah, because you're still dealing with one customer at a time.
0: Correct. It's like it's it's the same. It's um it's also how we work generally speaking, is like when I'm when I when I am part of these kind of research phases to even understand what a business is doing, um, that's where it starts. You start to take a small chunk out of that, take a website, and you take a look at one user journey. Do it yourself, visit the website, what's going on? What are we doing? Do we need it? It's like you just take a smaller chunk out of that. Nobody expects you to be compliant in In six months, there is a deadline. You have to be compliant. You have to show that you are doing something. You can do mistakes. There might be a small setting, a button that is misconfigured or whatever it might be. But the bigger picture is the relevant one. What are you investing in actually making it better? So if you
1: take that approach and apply it to your business where you are... Someone, you know, 30 years ago, <laughs> I'm old <laughs> enough to to quote things from 30 years ago, <laughs> um, you know, someone gives me my phone number, I don't hand it out to six people. Correct. Right? You know, um, it's expected or implied that I'm going to treat it with, like you say, with respect. Absolutely. And so for a smaller enterprise, smaller company, if you approach this issue with respect, with the idea that I will treat your data like it's yours. Uh, yes, I have it in my possession, but that doesn't need, give me carte blanche to simply exploit it, basically, right? Just as I wouldn't exploit a friendship or a good business relationship with someone, correct? That if you want that relationship to prosper, you have to treat it like you'd treat your neighbor. Correct. Julian, thank you uh, very much. For your time today thank you
0: really much appreciate the opportunity uh, love to have these conversations with you and hopefully until next time
1: if you like this episode please tell your friends and subscribe we post new episodes every week if you'd like to join our mailing list become a guest or suggest topics for future episodes you can find us on linkedin on our landing page at anchor.fm slash inside dt or at InsideDT.net. talk to you soon